0: CHAPTER Twenty-Eight OF BABBITT One, Miss McGuinn came into his private office at three in the afternoon with, "'Listen, Mr. Babbitt, there's a Mrs. Judique on the phone. Wants to see about some repairs, and the salesmen are all out. Want to talk to her?' "'All right.' The voice of Tannis Judique was clear and pleasant. The black cylinder of the telephone receiver seemed to hold a tiny animated image of her lustrous eyes delicate nose, gentle chin. This is Mrs. Judique. Do you remember me? You drove me up here to the Cabindash Apartments and helped me find such a nice flat. Sure, bet I remember. What can I do for you? Why, it's just a little. I don't know that I ought to bother you, but the janitor doesn't seem to be able to fix it. You know my flat is on the top floor with these autumn rains. The roof is beginning to leak, and I'd be awfully glad if, i'll come up and take a look at it nervously when do you expect to be in why i'm in every morning be in this afternoon in an hour or so yes perhaps i could give you a cup of tea i think i ought to after all your trouble fine i'll run up there as soon as i can get away he meditated now there's a woman that's got refinement savvy class after all your trouble give you a cup of tea she'd appreciate a fellow i'm a fool but i'm not such a bad cuss get to know me and not so much a fool as they think the great strike was over the strikers beaten except that virgil gunch seemed less cordial there were no visible effects of babbitt's treachery to the clan the oppressive fear of criticism was gone but a different loneliness remained now he was so exhilarated that to prove he wasn't he droned about the office for fifteen minutes looking at blueprints explaining to miss mcgoon that this mrs scott wanted more money for her house had raised the asking price raised it from seven thousand to eighty five hundred would miss Magowan be sure to put it down on the card mrs scott's house raise when he had thus established himself as a person Unemotional and interested only in business, he sauntered out. He took a particularly long time to start his car. He kicked the tires, dusted the glass of the speedometer, and tightened the screws holding the windshield spotlight. He drove happily off towards the Bellevue district, conscious of the presence of Mrs. Judique, as a brilliant light on the horizon. The maple leaves had fallen, and they lined the gutters of the asphalted streets. It was a day of pale gold and faded green, tranquil and lingering. Babbitt was aware of the meditative day and of the barrenness of Bellevue. Blocks of wooden houses, garages, little shops, weedy lots. Needs pepping up, needs the touch that people like Mrs. Judy could give a place. He ruminated as he rattled through the long, crude, airy streets. The wind rose, enlivening, keen and, in a blaze of well-being, he came to the flat of Tannis Judique. She was wearing, when she, flatteringly admitting him, a frock of black chiffon cut modestly round at the base of her pretty throat. She seemed to him very sophisticated. He glanced at the groutons and colored prints in her living room, and gurgled, "'Gosh, you've fixed the place up nice. Takes a clever woman to know how to make a home all right.' "'You really like it?' I am so glad, but you've neglected me scandalously. You promised to come up some time and learn to dance. Rather unsteadily. Oh, but you didn't mean it seriously. Perhaps not, but you might have tried. Well, here I've come for my lesson, and you might just as well prepare to have me stay for supper. They both laughed in a manner which indicated that, of course, he didn't mean it. But first of all, I guess I'd better look at the leak. She climbed with him to the flat roof of the apartment house, a detached world of slatted wooden walks, clothesline water tank, and a penthouse. He poked at things with his toe and sought to impress her by being learned about copper gutters, the desirability of passing plumbing pipes through a lead collar and sleeve and flashing them with copper, and the advantages of cedar over boiler iron for roof tanks you have to know so much in real estate she admired he promised that the roof should be repaired within two days Uh, do you mind my phoning from your apartment he asked heavens no he stood for a moment at the coping looking over land of hard little bungalows with abnormally large porches in new apartment houses small but brave with variegated brick walls and terracotta trimmings Beyond them was a hill with a gouge of yellow clay like a vast wound. Behind every apartment house, beside each dwelling, were small garages. It was a world of good little people, comfortable, industrious, credulous. In the autumnal light the flat newness was mellowed, and the air was a sun-tinted pool. "'Golly, it's one fine afternoon. You get a great view here, right up Tanner's Hill,' said Babbitt yes it's nice and open so darn few people appreciate a view don't you go raising my rent on that account oh that was naughty of me i was just teasing seriously though there are so few people who respond who react to views i mean they haven't any feeling of poetry and beauty that's a fact they haven't he breathed admiring her slenderness and the absorbed airy way in which she looked toward the hill chin lifted lips smiling well guess i would better telephone the plumbers so they'll get on the job first thing in the morning when he had telephoned making it conspicuously authoritative and gruff and masculine he looked doubtful and sighed suppose i better be oh you must have a cup of tea first well it would go pretty good at that it was luxurious to loll in a deep green rep-chair, his legs thrust out before him, to glance at the black Chinese telephone stand in the colored photograph of Mount Vernon, which he had always liked so much, while in the tiny kitchen so near, Mrs. Eudique sang, My Creole Queen, in an intolerable sweetness, a contentment so deep, that he was wistfully discontented. He saw magnolias by moonlight, and heard plantation darkies crooning to the banjo. He wanted to be near her, on pretense of helping her. Yet he wanted to remain in his still ecstasy. Languidly he remained. When she bustled in with tea, he smiled up at her. This is awfully nice. For the first time, he was not fencing. He was quietly and securely friendly, and friendly and quiet was her answer. It's nice to have you here you were so kind helping me to find this little home they agreed that the weather would soon turn cold they agreed that prohibition was prohibitive they agreed that art in the home was cultural they agreed about everything they even became bold they hinted that these modern young girls well honestly their short skirts were short they were proud to find that they were not shocked by such frank speaking tanis ventured i know you'll understand i mean I don't quite know how to say it, but I do think that girls who pretend they're bad by the way they dress really never go any further. They give away the fact that they haven't the instincts of a womanly woman. Remembering Ida Putink, the manicure girl, and how ill she had used him, Babbitt agreed with enthusiasm. Remembering how ill all the world had used him, he told of Paul Riesling of Zilla, of Seneca Doane of the strike. Yeah I was of course I was as anxious to have these beggars licked to a standstill as anybody else, but gosh, no reason for not seeing their side for a fellow of his own sake. He's got to be broad minded and liberal. Don't you think so? Oh I do. Sitting on the hard little couch, she clasped her hands beside her, leaned toward him, absorbed him, and in a glorious state of being appreciated, he proclaimed So I up and said to the fellows at the club look here i-do you belong to the union club i think its no the athletic I tell you of course they're always asking me to join the union but i always say no no sir nothing doing i don't mind the expense but i can't stand all the old fogies oh yes that's whole, we'll... but tell me what did you say to them oh you don't want to hear it i'm probably boring you to death with my troubles you wouldn't hardly think i was an old duffer i sound like a kid oh you're a boy yet i mean you can't be a day over forty five well i'm not much but by golly i begin to feel middle aged sometimes all these responsibilities and all oh i know her voice caressed him it cloaked him like warm silk and i feel lonely so lonely some days mr babbitt we're a sad pair of birds but i think we're pretty darn nice yes i think we're a lot nicer than most people i know they smiled but please tell me what you said at the club well it was like this of course seneca doane is a friend of mine they can say what they want to they can call him anything they please but what most folks here don't know is that seney is the bosom pal of some of the biggest statesmen in the world lord wycombe for instance You know, this big British nobleman. My friend Sir Gerald Doak told me that Lord Wycombe is one of the biggest guns in England. Well, Doak or somebody told me. Oh, do you know Sir Gerald? The one that was here at McKevley's? Know him? Well, say, I know him just well enough so we call each other George and Jerry, and we got so pickled in Chicago. That must have been fun, but— She shook a finger at him i can't have you getting pickled i'll have to take you in hand wish you would well as i sing you see i happen to know what a big noise sunny don is outside of zenith but of course the prophet hasn't got any honor in his own country and senny darn his old hide he's so blame modest that he never lets folks know the kind of an outfit he travels with when he goes abroad well during the strike clarence drum comes pirating up to our table all dolled up fit to kill in his nice little cap'n's uniform and somebody says to him "Bustin' the strike Clarence." well he swells up like a powder-pigeon and he hollers so you could hear him way up in the reading room Yes, yeah, sure i told the strike leaders where they got off and so they went home well i says to him glad there wasn't any violence yes he says but if i hadn't kept my skin there would have been all those fellows had bombs in their pockets they're regular anarchists. oh rats clarence i says i looked em all over carefully and they didn't have any more bombs than a rabbit i says of course i says they're foolish but they're a good deal like you and me after all and then virgil gunch or somebody you know it was chum frank you know the famous poet great pal of mine he says to me look here he says "'Do you mean to say you advocate these strikes? "'Well, I was so disgusted with a fellow whose mind worked that way "'that I swear I had a good mind to not explain it all, just ignore him.' "'Oh, that's so wise,' said Mrs. Judique. "'But finally I explains to him, "'If you'd done as much as I have on chamber of commerce committees and all,' says, "'then you'd have the right to talk. "'But same time, I says, i believe in treating your opponent like a gentleman well sir that held him frank chum i always call him he didn't have another word to say but at that i guess some of em kind of thought i was too liberal what do you think oh you were so wise and courageous i love a man to have the courage of his convictions but do you think it was a good stunt After all, some of these fellows are so darn cautious and narrow-minded that they're prejudiced against the fellow that talks right out by meaning. What do you care? In the long run, they're bound to respect a man who makes them think. And with your reputation for oratory, you— What do you know about my reputation for oratory? Oh, I'm not going to tell you everything I know, but seriously— You don't realize what a famous man you are. Well, though I haven't done much orating this fall. Too kind of bothered by this Paul Riesling business, I guess, but... Do you know you're the first person that's really understood what I was getting at? Tanis, listen to me, will you? Fat nerve I've got calling you Tanis. Oh, do, and shall I call you George? Don't you think it's awfully nice when two people have so much what shall I call it, so much analysis that they can discard all the stupid conventions and understand each other and become acquainted right away, like ships that pass in the night. I certainly do. I certainly do. He was no longer quiescent in his chair. He wandered about the room. He dropped on the couch beside her, but as he awkwardly stretched his hands toward her fragile, immaculate fingers, she said brightly, "'Do you give me a cigarette. "'Would you think poor Tanis was dreadfully naughty "'if she smoked? "'Lord no, I like it.' "'He had often and weightily pondered "'flappers smoking in Zenith restaurants, "'but he knew only one woman who smoked, "'Mrs. Sam W., this flighty neighbor. "'He ceremoniously lighted Tanis's cigarette, "'liked for a place to deposit the burnt match, "'and dropped it into his pocket.' i'm sure you want a cigar oh, poor man she crooned do you mind one? Oh no i love the smell of a good cigar so nice and so nice and like a man you'll find an ashtray in my bedroom on the table beside the bed if you don't mind getting it he was embarrassed by her bedroom the broad couch with a cover of violet silk mauve curtains striped with gold chinese chippendale bureau and an amazing row of slippers with ribbon-wound shoe trees, and primrose stockings lying across them. His manner of bringing the ashtray had just the right note of easy friendliness. He felt a boob like Virgil Gunch would try to get funny about seeing her bedroom, but I take it casually. He was not casual afterward. The contentment of companionship was gone, and he was restless with desire to touch her hand but whenever he turned toward her the cigarette was in his way it was a shield between them he waited till she would have finished but as he rejoiced at the quick crushing of its light on the ashtray she said don't you want to give me another cigarette and hopelessly he saw the screen of pale smoke in her graceful tilted hand again between them he was not merely curious now to find out whether she would let him hold her hand all in the purest friendship, naturally, but agonized with need of it. On the surface appeared none of all this fretful drama. They were talking cheerfully of motors of trips to California of Chum Frink. Once he said delicately, I do hate these guys. I hate these people that invite themselves to meals. But I seem to have a feeling I'm going to have supper with the lovely Mrs. Tannis Judique tonight but I suppose you probably already have seven dates already. Well, I was thinking of uh, some going to the movies. Yes, I really think I ought to get out and get some fresh air. She did not encourage him to stay, but never did she discourage him. He considered, I better take a sneak. She will let me stay. There is something doing, and I mustn't get mixed up with, I mustn't. I've got to beat it, then. No, it's too late now. Suddenly, at seven, brushing her cigarette away, briskly taking her hand. Dennis, stop teasing me. You know we—here we are, a couple of lonely birds, and we're awfully happy together. Anyway, I am never been so happy. Do let me stay. I'll gallop down to the delicatessen and buy some stuff, cold chicken maybe, or cold turkey, and we can have a nice little supper and afterwards, if you want to chase me out. I'll be good and go like a lamb well yes it would be nice she said nor did she withdraw her hand he squeezed it trembling and blundered toward his coat at the delicatessen he bought preposterous stores of food chosen on the principle of expensiveness from the drugstore across the street he telephoned to his wife uh, got to get a fellow to sign a lease before he leaves town on the uh, midnight won't be home till late "'Don't uh, wait up for me, Kiss Kischenka, good night.' He expectantly lumbered back to the flat. "'Oh, you bad thing! You buy so much food!' was her greeting, and her voice was gay, her smile acceptant. He helped her in the tiny white kitchen. He washed the lettuce, he opened the olive bottle. She ordered him to set the table, and as he trotted into the living room, as he hunted through the buffet for knives and forks, he felt utterly at home. "'Now the only other thing,' he announced is what you're going to wear i can't decide whether you're to put on your swellest evening gown or let your hair down and put on short skirts and make believe you're a little girl i'm going to dine just as i am in this old chiffon rag and if you can't stand poor tanis that way you can go to the club for dinner stand you he patted her shoulder child you're the brainiest and the loveliest and finest woman i've ever met come now lady wycombe if you'll take the duke of zenith's arm we will perambulate to the magnolias feed oh you do say the funniest and nicest things when they had finished the picnic supper he thrust his head out of the window and reported it's turned awful chilly and i think it's going to rain you don't want to go to the movies well." I wish we had a fireplace, and I wish it was raining like all get-out tonight. And I wish we were in a funny little old-fashioned cottage, and the trees thrashing like everything outside, and a great big log fire. And I'll tell you, let's draw this couch up to the radiator and stretch our feet out and pretend it's a wood fire. Oh, I think that's pathetic, you big child. But they did draw up to the radiator and prop their feet against it his clumsy black shoes her patent-leather slippers in the dimness they talked of themselves of how lonely she was how bewildered he and how wonderful that they had found each other as they fell silent in the room was stiller than a country lane there was no sound from the street save the whir of motor tires the rumble of a distant freight train self-contained was the room warm secure insulated from the harassing world He was absorbed by a rapture in which all fear and doubting were smothered away, and when he reached home at dawn the rapture had mellowed to contentment, serene and full of memories. End of chapter twenty-eight